Welcome to The Deal with Yield, your podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. I'm John Zook, agronomist for Winfield United. Today in the studio, we have brought in Corey Evans. He's a technical seed agronomist for Winfield United. Welcome, Corey. Thanks for having me, John. So we're going to talk about seed treatments today, if we can stay on task. Oh boy, yeah, it's a little hard. So we got to get this thing rolling. We got a lot of good information to share though, right? Where do we even start? Yeah, so I think we should start, let's split the crops, right? Okay. Let's talk, uh, I mean, mainly, I think for the sake of time, we'll spend our time in soybeans and, and corn. Mm-hmm. And let's start with soybeans, just because uh, I think that is probably a, a question that comes up often and frequently. And uh, one of the questions with uh, soybean seed treatments is, let's go back to performance. So thinking about 2018 and now 2019 crop going off, what things have you seen out in the field uh, evaluating plots that would give an edge or performance to a seed treatment? I think from a 10,000-foot view, when you really talk about seed treatments on soybean specifically, it really goes back to protecting the stand. Right, and I fall back to a conversation around the yield cliff. So depending on what university data you look at, what maybe your own gut feelings are, there's probably some final population that you need to have when you harvest your soybeans that really make or break soybean crop. So whether that's a 90,000 plants per acre, or 100,000, whatever your number is, what I think seed treatments do are buffer you from getting to the edge of that yield cliff to make sure that you've got a little insurance built in there if maybe you have a little crusting issue, if you have bugs come in, if you have some seedling disease come in and take the population out. Seed treatments for me are all about protecting that population that you plant and make sure you stay away and have a buffer from that yield cliff. So give us an idea of, we talk about the buffer. I mean, talk about numbers. What would the buffer be? What do we expect to see year over year? Is there anything out there that can help us through that? I think if you look at our data, just from what you and I have done in southern Minnesota on Anserplatz, we see somewhere around 16,200 plants per acre difference when you compare a fungicide-treated soybean to an untreated. If you look at other external sources like university data, they're in that same ballpark, 16,000 to 20,000 plants per acre is what's protected that we see above and beyond an untreated acre. Yep. So I know you got these numbers already in your head. Give us a price per acre of what sixteen to 20,000 seeds might be. Oh, boy, John. <laughs> well, of course, it depends on what you're buying your soybeans at for price. But I look at 16000 is probably worth uh, 15 to $20. And when you look at it in costs of, okay, what would you pay for an insurance to make sure you maintain an optimum stand? Mm-hmm. Because once you drop below that yield cliff, that 16 to $20 investment can fall pretty low pretty fast. And in today's terms, that's only three or four bushels of soybean loss. Mm-hmm. So big numbers that... Uh, it's just interesting that this conversation comes up every year, right? Mm-hmm. No matter what spring we're having, I think we both field the questions of, do I really need a seed treatment, right? Either it's we're planting in warm conditions or we're planting late, do I really need it? Or why don't I just increase my plant population and I don't need to put seed treatment on? 
The one thing I did want to add on, on the numbers conversation is, uh, so that's what we see in the field, right? Mm-hmm. That's 16 to 20,000. But we have some really good information at the Innovation Center. We've done some testing. And what we found, we've been, we've actually taken soybean seeds in and done a warm germ and a cold germ test. And with seed treatment, we're looking at, even on a warm germ test, we're increasing population or germination rate by a little over 4% increase. So that's in good warm germ conditions. Um, if you go cold germ, it's almost 30% increase. So, I mean, we talk about the numbers in the field just by doing stand counts year over year, but when we take those practices in the lab and look, well, how does this actually affect it? We're seeing some pretty significant increases in germination rates, and I think that's where it comes down to. Yeah, you alluded to it earlier, John, of some of the challenges we've had in 2018 and 2019, especially when it comes to quality of the soybean crop we've harvested. Mm -hmm. Last year, it got wet late. This year, potentially, our soybean quality could be challenged again across the board. And so it's going to be really important to have another conversation on just maintaining some quality on germination above and beyond all the importance of protecting against seedling diseases. Mm -hmm. The other ability that we have to do in the lab is, I mean, in the field, we have so many variabilities. I mean, we got plots that we're scouting and looking at all the time with the feels like 10 different variations of seed treatments. You know, do I need a SDS product? Do I need a nematode product? Can I get a combo of one or the other? What's this rate of metalaxyl versus methanoxum? All those conversations were being had in the field. One thing that we can do in the lab is, I mean, we can compare those products. We can inoculate soil, right? We can put pythium in the soil so we know what our soil test is and then test a product for, is it really good in that? And if it is really good, how does it compare to its peers in the environment? So I hope those are some of the things we can be looking forward to in the future to bring some of our field experiences back to the conversation of comparing apples to apples on that seed treatment, given the year that we're up against. Having a known variable is really important, right? I think of starting the year off in, in April and May, and based on the weather conditions we're having, maybe we make some assumptions as agronomists of, well, we're pretty sure it's going to be a Phytophthora year, or it's probably going to be a Fusarium year. And then you get three months later, and you realize it probably wasn't the disease that you thought it was going to be that hit the soybean crop. And having the Innovation Center in our hand is, is really important to make sure we minimize those variables so we know and understand how these seed treatments are affecting the seedling diseases we're going after. Mm-hmm. So we kind Kind of a, we're going into this conversation, we've alluded to it. I think we both get the question, you know, I have uh, maybe four opportunities to put a seed treatment on. How do I know which one is the best? And can I really compare apples to apples? Like, what's your strategy for answering that question or helping guys through it? I think it's like buying a pickup, right? You go in and you decide, yep, I need a four-door long-cap pickup. And then you have to figure out what package you're going to buy, right? And whether you're picking from one brand or the other, all of them have different names for packages. They have different options that go with them. Do I need the leather? Do I need the sunroof? Do I need the heated seats? And it's really hard to understand and quantify what those differences are and what they're worth. So when I think it coming down to seed treatments, when there's so many options, really it's getting down to the basics and figure out what's actually on them. What's the rate of the fungicide? And is it an active isomer of a different mode of action that might have, you know, a higher impact on Phytophthora, for example. If you're using metalaxyl, which is often a, a common mode of action that we see in seed treatments versus mefenoxim, both of them have similar names, but they do two different things as you have the mefenoxim being the more active isomer and metalaxyl. 
granted, they're going to look like two different rates, but we know one is stronger than the other, even at a lower rate. Mm-hmm. And so rate really buys you into the conversation of length of protection in the field. My first question, I think, tags up with yours is, let's make sure that the seed treatment has the highest rate of methanoxone active that we can possibly get. Because in our world, Phytophthoras are probably our biggest enemy in that June time frame. We get warm, we get wet, and we get Phytophthora coming in. And uh, if we get that rate as high as we possibly can, it extends the protection that we get on that seedling. So then that soybean crop can get up and growing and start making its own internal trait expression of protection of that Phytophthora. Agreed. So being the seed guy and following on the seed world. I led you into that one. Thank you, John. Uh, so. V2, V3 is when we really start seeing soybeans express their phytophthora gene. And V2 to V3 this year could have been 40 days from some of the cool conditions we had. So making sure you have protection for those first 40 days to make that bridge work so that soybean can express the gene and protect itself from those early season diseases. Yep. So I think that's number one is getting that thing nailed. The number two thing for me is is having the data behind the active. So, I mean, we talked a little bit about that. I don't think we have to go too much further into that, but it's, you got to have the support for it. You got to, you can't just say, Hey, we got this new or different active on there. It's comparable to, and then really, how does it compare? Right. And how does it, how does it look in our environment? I think there's a lot of different actives out there at different rates, but make sure you're getting what you pay for. There's a lot of eighth rate products that you're paying $3 less for, but you're getting an eighth of the rate of if you just paid $3 more. So that's a real trap that I feel that the growers can fall into pretty quick. It's really confusing, right? There's so many options out there across different brands, across even our own in-house brand. And I think just peeling away the mask of a brand name and really understanding what's on it. And sometimes growers fall back on, well, it's it's treated or it's untreated, right? Mm-hmm. But digging into, if you're paying for a seed treatment, what's really on it and is it protecting the things that you want to protect? Mm-hmm. Okay. So fungicide necessary, know your rate of active, know how much you're paying for it. Compare those apples to apples right there. Spot on. What do you think about insecticide? Insecticide is another conversation that comes up, right? Once we pass the base fungicide, now it's, uh, do I need an insecticide? And the insecticide comes in in different conversations where I think the insecticide helps is those early season challenges on, on pests. And then the second ladder benefit would be looking at you know, early aphid suppression that might maintain some delay in, in spraying aphids. But really it's about getting that seed protected early in the season from, you know, potential bugs that could be chewing on it. I agree with you. There's recent publications within universities that talk about, should we use an insecticide? What's the benefits? And really when you dive into those publications, and I kind of have, and what I mean to say dive into is because you have to convert uh, kilograms per hectare and into bushels per acre, Corey, and that's hard it's math. Hard to do at the top of your head. Yeah. Google's got an app for that, but it's just like, <laughs> just just hard to grab on. Really what you find, if you get into the right environment, if you've got high management beans, every day that those beans are stressed out, 
is going to decrease the yield potential that they have. And so adding that insecticide in assures you to be protected from the things that you talked about. And when we boil it down, a lot of the literature, including some of our own data, is probably going to give us anywhere from that 1 to 2.3 bushel from what I've seen. And it all falls right in there just by having the advantages there. The other thing with the insecticide is kind of the byproduct of it. And that's what we call the vigor effect. So if we're using the right insecticide there, uh, thymethoxin, um, we do get a vigor effect. So we get more root growth. And with soybeans, I always say soybeans have what type of root? They have a tap root. The crappiest root, That's right? true. Yeah. So how good are soybean roots at getting nutrients? Hmm. Especially early, right? And granted, we've had a few challenging weather conditions this year. Last year, the year before that, right, planting conditions have not been a walk in the park. And we know that we run into compaction and some crusting issues every year. Any benefit we can get to that root starting strong and building a platform for that soybean to, to grab nutrients throughout the year is really important. Yep. So the bigger effect is probably the bigger point there. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last one on the soybeans and then we'll move into corn. What's, I mean, what do we think on nematodes, yeah, sudden death? I, I mean, how do we there. apples to apples, that son of a gun? You know, I look at the last three or four, maybe even five years in my area that I cover, SDS is becoming more and more apparent. And there's a lot of correlation from the universities trying to figure out, okay, is there a nematode SDS interaction? And right now, you know, there's a few seed treatment options available, whether it's a nematicide, whether it's biological that makes a barrier around the root. And there's a lot of different options that work differently on nematodes. And I think the biggest challenge is understanding if I have a nematode problem, right? Because you can go out and take a soybean cyst nematode sample and from where I'm sitting to where you're sitting is, you know, six feet apart. If you took two different samples there, you might find two really different results. So it's really hard to quantify, geez, do I have a soybean cyst nematode problem? And then is it worth it to put a seed treatment on? I think when you start seeing, you know, maybe a few bushels off the top of where you expected your soybean crop to be, or you're seeing SDS show up more and more, I think it's definitely worth consideration of putting some type of nematode control on. Mm-hmm. So really a, a nematode test as we know it today is it's just a pregnancy test, right? Basically. You either have them or you don't. Right. Right. But if you refer back to a recent episode that we interviewed with Brad Roteman from Solom Laboratories, you know that that's probably about to change. There is some industry conversation there and some techniques that we're developing to better quantify how many nematodes that we have in the soil. But yeah, you're right. You can't, it's either, hey, you have them or you don't. You can't really assess, well, how bad is my problem at that point? So it's so variable. And then you have to evaluate did I make the right decision at the end of the year, right? So if you run a strip trial with nematode production versus not, maybe you don't know what side had more pressure or not. There's so much variability. So then how do you really quantify if it was worth it or not? There's well, what if it's a randomized replicated strip <clears throat> trial? A randomized replicated strip trial might get you a little closer to accuracy, John. Do those even exist? Uh, I think there's a few of them in the industry. Maybe like a, an answer plot, for example, could have some. You got to make sure that it's on the same variety, though, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Back to the seed conversation. Cool. Okay. Okay. So really, I think that sums up our soybean seed. Didn't we say we weren't going to sidetrack? Uh, we didn't sidetrack. Oh, okay. I, mean, I feel like we're okay. We're good. Yeah. Straight and narrow, right? So let's go to corn, okay? So we talked in length about soybeans. Let's talk about corn. What are some advantages 
of seed treatments on corn. Where do you see the industry differentiating in corn seed treatments? Well, I think let's take a step back and just talk about seed treatments in general, right? I look at the corn yield equation as really kernels per ear, number of ears per acre, and weight per kernel. Having a seed treatment on corn really influences two of them, how many ears per acre and how many kernels per ear. So as you plant a corn crop that you invested pretty heavily in on the seed cost, you're making sure that you get the most amount of seed to germinate and come out of the ground. And then you want to make sure that you're having consistent germination to make sure we're not producing some plants becoming weeds later in the year, right? That's what influences the actual ears per acre. So seed treatments are really important just to establish a stand that's consistent. And fungicides and insecticides are a really important part of that. Mm-hmm. So consistent emergence with consistent ear size development, if you can do that, you're nailing probably two-thirds of the yield equation. That's the name of the game. Got it. Okay, so we got, let's get past that. What are some additives that we can do to even benefit that further? Yep, so you've got a base rate of fungicide, you've got an insecticide. I think there's other options like yield protection products is what I would call them, and that falls into three different categories. First, you could look at having a, a biological that might help prevent nematode damage. I think there's another bucket that would be an enhanced level of fungicides that would be adding like ethoboxum for increased pythium control. But most importantly for our world is zinc. Zinc is really important early for germination, right? We know zinc is a catalyst for enzyme production. It's a precursor to auxin growth, and it really starts to establish the germination process on corn. So having zinc early in the corn plant's life that's sufficient really helps promote vigorous growth and consistent growth to get that corn seed up and out of the ground. So you struck a real tender spot when you mentioned nematode protection on corn, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going, well, we don't have any options for that anymore, right? Um, I don't want to go any farther into that, but I think that's a real thing, right? I mean, and eventually we're going to get to a point where we'll be able to have a product to figure that out, but we're not quite there yet with a lot of it. Stay tuned for that. Yes. So I wanted to just address that a little bit, but let's go this zinc deal. So who's putting zinc on? What's the value? Great. You got me sold. I told you I like zinc. I mean, I'm going to do it, but why? You know, we feel pretty fortunate at Cropland where Cropland is the only company to offer a standard zinc treatment on all of the corn that we provide growers. And I'm my sixth year in at Winfield United. And I remember the first year I experienced just a huge difference in zinc on the seed versus not on the seed. We were in Santiago, Minnesota, really uh, sandy soil, low organic matter. And it's really goes through a lot of temperature fluctuations early in spring because where they are. And I remember looking at a plot with and without zinc seed treatment, and I couldn't believe the differences just in consistency of emergence and a uniform height really at V2, V3, it it really started to show. And after that, I was a a total believer. 2018, we did some testing in answer plots just to reconfirm what we do. And across 41 different answer plots, we saw a 4.8 bushel per acre increase with a zinc treatment over a, just a standard fungicide treatment. So we feel really fortunate to have that conversation in the, the back of our pocket where we know zinc's important throughout the year, season-long management, and getting zinc right right away as you germinate a, a corn seed is really important. 
Mm-hmm. So your job as a technical seed agronomist is to go out in plots and and evaluate emergence, evaluate vigor. So you've seen these trials replicated what, year over year. And I mean, I think I look at the data and, and I've always seen, um, you know, you quoted last year's data was 4.8. I mean, we've always seen, you know, two to 4.8. I mean, it's always been within that range of seeing it. And not to mention, we're looking at different maturities too. So one might say, well, zinc is important for vigor and early season emergence. Therefore, if I plant in cold soil or I drive across a snowbank to plant my corn, I'm going to see more value in that. But I mean, we're looking at 105 day, 110 day, 115 day maturities too, and seeing very similar data. It's across the board, right? And mm-hmm. when I compare some of the cropland products versus industry standards that we know are really strong in emergence, and you compare cropland products that are traditionally strong in emergence, but you add that zinc seed treatment, I don't have a number to give you, but when you walk plots, you can just see that increase in consistency, even comparing apples to apples across the board of strong vigor versus strong vigor plus a zinc seed treatment. Okay, Corey, I super appreciate the conversation on seed treatment. You and I are both a huge fan of decision trees, so we got to wrap it up with this one. Where would a seed treatment fall on a decision tree if you were going to be choosing hybrids, varieties? Just quickly kind of walk us through on how we should position that. I mean, we talked apples to apples and did some comparisons, but how do we make that decision within our farming operation? I think first and foremost, the first decision you have to make that's the most important is choosing the right genetics for your acre, whether that's corn or soybeans, making sure on the corn side, it's got the right response to nitrogen, response population, maybe it's the right corn hybrid for your soil type. On the bean side, hey, does it have the right agronomics that I need? Once you get past choosing the right genetics, then it goes to traits. On the corn sides, do I need above ground protection or below ground protection? And on soybeans, it's what herbicide trait makes sense for my farming operation. And then I think the third decision you have to make is, okay, what seed treatments make sense for whatever challenges I face or our farming operation that we might see in the upcoming year? So it's it's not a matter of ranking, but it's a matter of f- making those decisions to fit the acre. And that's always been our message. Absolutely. Going through the flow. So there's no way to cover everything. Where can we pick up more? If you got questions, where, where do you go? <laughs> You're exactly right. There's a lot of options. There's a lot of conversations. But I think if you talk to a Winfield United retailer to learn more, you might get a few more of those questions answered. And then you might have to see one of us there too. And then you might have to see one of us. You've been listening to the Deal With Yield podcast. If you enjoyed the show today, please rate us and review us online or on your podcast app. And for more episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and thedealwithyield.com. 